0: In lieu of um, having you do PowerPoint and do uh, take notes tonight, there's only one request that I will make, and that is not that you have to move forward, because I'll just move towards where you are and lock the door, so eventually I'll be where you are, but my one request is that you get involved, because I'm going to ask a lot of questions, and I, I want participation from you. I want to interact with you um, on this subject and what we're going to be talking about tonight. But let's first um, go before God's throne and seek his face. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord. I pray for Pastor and Debbie. Pray that you would use them as their way. Minister to them, and even as he's challenged us today, Lord, pray that he would use his background and Debbie's background to minister to others. Lord, I pray that it would be encouragement to the Edgars. I pray that uh, it would be encouragement to Debbie and Pastor. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have tonight to open your word. And I pray that each one of us, myself included, would be willing to hear from you, uh, to apply what you uh, share tonight. And Lord, may it not be my words, but may it be your words of direction and comfort and uh, understanding, may your Holy Spirit uh, provide those things in each one of our hearts and lives. It's in your name we pray, amen. Now, I've got a question to ask you, and this is specifically speaking uh, your spiritual realm. Besides when you got saved, I want you to think of someone who has greatly impacted your life. Something you've learned from someone um, that has greatly impacted your life, that, just, man, it, it, it really, spiritually speaking, I'm not talking about, okay, a father who spent a lot of time, but someone who spiritually speaking, besides leading you to, you know, to the Lord, uh, salvation aspect, something that someone has, has taught you, um, and anyone want to go first? Something that really sticks out in your life said, man, when I think of that warrant, Amen. Amen. Being challenged to... No, it's all right. I'll go an extra 15 minutes for that. No, I'm kidding. Um, Being challenged to memorize God's Word. Amen. Can't beat that challenge. Anyone else? Something that, besides your salvation experience, someone that sticks out in your mind that has taught you something. And what was it? Brother Jim. Amen. Remind me of the challenge about reading a proverb of the day. I was thinking through challenging my daughter to do that, but I thought also of all the questions that may come up if you read Proverbs as a young child. So we had to work from some other angles and so forth. Some things are, you're not ready to discuss it to a child at certain ages. So I remember saying, Oh, that would be great for her. Oh, wait a second. I remember what some of those Proverbs say. We'll wait on that one. Anyone else? Yes, Sarah. You know, I can go on and on and give you other opportunities. But I have another question, and this is for, for those in a specific uh, era of their life right now. And then I'm going to bring it all together in, in, as we open God's Word. For those that have children that are under the age of five, stand. Under the age of five, stand. Okay, you guys standing up there? Okay, Rick, Phil. Phil. I'm going to start up with Rick and Phil, and then we're going to filter here. You guys, if you need, you're young, so you can hold up you know, on the pew standing a little bit. Rick and Phil, off the top of your head, you have young children. What is the greatest concern for you in the years ahead for your children? Okay, Phil. Rick, you can have a seat if you need. <laughs> Phil. Okay. I'm going to direct it a little bit different as we come down here. And um, Sarah, you or Mark uh, can, can uh, do a combined one here or whatever. What do you think are some of the challenges your children will face in the future? Okay. Ewing. Sorry, Sarah. I'll, I'll, Ewing, what would be a, a challenge that would concern you in the future for your child children? That is our prayer as well, for of us, those who know you. Okay, Jim, what would be a big challenge or concern for your children in this world, uh, the future of their... How many of you in here learn the hard way by having to go through it instead of learn by listening? I was always the one that had to experience the hard way to learn it, and that's important. Um, I can see the difference in my three kids: which one will learn by listening, and which one will go through the hard knocks. Um, Josh, which would what would be some of your concerns for your kids? And or Jamie can answer it if you if she has more input. <laughs> <laughs> that the Lord will return, huh? That wasn't the area I was looking at going there, Josh. It is your house, and they do follow the... Never mind. (laughs) Thanks. Now, I appreciate uh, those young families that have shared that, and there's a purpose in me asking these two questions, and I'm going to bring it around here. If I took the time tonight, and I'm going to make an assumption here um, and talk to each one individually about someone who sticks out in your mind who's made an impact in your heart and who's made an impact in your life and something you've learned from them. I would say there's probably very few of you that would answer it this way. It was a teenager or it was a young person. Most of the answers we give, it's it's our teacher, it's our parents, it's our adults, it's my Sunday school teacher. and All those things are great, but can we learn something from young people? Now, I know it sounds like Pastor Luke should be here asking this question. But can we learn things from young people? What? Technology. Okay. We can learn technology. And it can be used, Mark, for good or for bad. <laughs> yeah. What else can we learn from young people? Okay. Learn to listen to them. But what is it that they can teach us? Honest and open. Honest and open. Okay, Rick. Yeah, they're best buddies. Yeah. Well, it's been two months now, Rick. <laughs> it is, and and you know what the the immediate for, you know hey buddy you know yeah I I learned that from my kid. You're right. Learning forgiveness in that. Resolving things. What else can we learn from young people? Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Bottle some of that energy. Sarah. Joy. Being content. You know, I think that there's a lot of things, and, and we could take the time to maybe dig a little bit deeper in this area, But there's a lot we can learn from young people. I've got to ask you, are we willing to learn it? Do we mark, and I'm including myself, I may only be 45, but do we mark off the young people and being taught from them just because they're younger, just because they're not, uh, oh, they haven't had the years of experience and wisdom and everything else like I have. They haven't gone through. Remember what these young parents just said? They don't want their kids to go through some of the things they've gone through. You know, I think one of the best testimonies in the world is not the one that says, I went through drugs, I had this and this, but I got saved at a young age and I served the Lord all the days of my life. Isn't that one of the best testimonies out there? One of the greatest testimonies. Of God. Why do I ask you this? Because I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 1. And I want you to be open-minded to learn from a young person. And I want us to talk about this week and next week, what we can learn from Daniel. Pastors, actually getting to this point in Sunday night's message. He just talked about the northern kingdom, Israel, and how they were dispersed and so forth. And next he's going to talk about the southern kingdom, which is Judah, which is going to be taken over by Babylon. And that's where we are here in Daniel. And something let me tell you about Daniel. Uh, for those of you, it may take a little bit more than others, but remember back to when you were a teenager. He was probably somewhere between the four, age of 14 to 16 years old when Judah was taken captive. Most likely his parents were killed. Daniel and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were not the only ones taken captive here in, in, in the book of Daniel. Probably hundreds of others were taken captive, but these are the ones we hear about, and most likely because of the way that they lived their life. Daniel and his buddies and others were in Judah when this um, one of three raids took um, uh, Judah over. Nebuchadnezzar was the king at the time of Babylon when they took over. There was a very wicked king in Judah at the time. And if you study the southern kingdom Judah, you'll see of times of of wicked kings and times of great kings. The king before Jehoiakim was Josiah, and Josiah was a very godly king, probably one of the most godly kings. And this is where um, Daniel and his buddies probably grew up under and got a lot of their um, spiritual growth. And most likely as you study this, you probably also understand that he was in that realm of uh, kings kings. And around that, that high society, if you would use that, because of the education that he had and the teaching and so forth, um, he had a lot of that background. But now, let's picture what happens to Daniel. Daniel and his buddies and hundreds of others are taken captive, are brought into a foreign land, pulled away as a teenager from that foreign land, from everything that they know, from their family, from their friends and everything, and they're put into a godless Society. Now, you have a choice as a teenager to, hey, mom and dad's not here. Let's let's think as a teenager here. It may be a challenge for someone. But let's think, of it, I can do anything I want to. I don't have mom and dad looking over my shoulder. I really can, you know, I don't have much discipline. I, I'm living here with the king. I have everything I want. And how am I going to live? What choices am I going to make at the age of 14, 15, maybe 16. A lot of the other ones, other people that we don't see mentioned in here probably made the choice to go the wrong way. But Daniel and his buddies made a different choice. And I want us to talk about that because I think there's a huge amount. The more we study in our Sunday school class, we're studying the book of Daniel. The more we study Daniel and his life, the more I see a mirror of the United States of America. We are becoming more like Babylon day in and day out, year in and year out. And I imagine that what we can learn from the challenges that Daniel faces um, is not much different than the challenges that we and our children are going to be facing in the years ahead. And I think we can learn from those challenges and learn from a young person how to stay strong, how to be faithful. Daniel chapter 1. Before we get there. Spiritually speaking, educate me here, some of those that are a little bit older. What are some spiritual challenges you are facing today? Gene, what would you say is a spiritual challenge that you face? Doesn't matter what age you have, you're still going to have some spiritual challenges. I know one of the things as I work with some of our Bereans and ambassadors is a lot of times they get they get frustrated with the fact that they want to still do what they used to do in their 30s and 40s in the way of ministry, and we have to understand as we grow, even in our as um, we change, um, our ministries may change, they may develop into something else, but you're still be involved. I had someone tell me the other day, "Oh, I just feel like I'm doing nothing." I'm like, "Do you do you pray for people?" Yes. I'm like, that is a ministry. That is very, that is a very important. Be a prayer warrior. I said, you are involved in ministry if you're being a prayer warrior. You know, and, and sometimes we can get down on ourselves and say, I don't, I can't do what I used to do. You know, I can't do what my kids can do. I can't keep up. I can't bend like my son can bend. I never could. But I, you know, that you know, we can't do those things because as we change. But let's look to Daniel chapter one. Verse 1 and 2, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So the Lord had a part in this. It was the sovereign plan. And remember, what was the reason why Judah was overtaken? Anybody? What was the reason they were taken? Okay, idol worship. And, and it was punishment to, God was punishing them and allowing them to be taken captive. God uses them in the punishment of what they've gone through and what their idol worship. And so Daniel and his friends were aware of that. They were aware of what was going on. Okay, but let's see what the four challenges that they're going to, that Daniel and his buddies are going to face. Lord, can, can uh, gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar and to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpidez, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there were no blemish, but good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understanding, who had the ability to serve in the king's Palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Very monotheistic were they? Were the Chaldeans or the Babylon? Were they one god or many gods? Many gods. Nebuchadnezzar gets these guys that get among other people, brings them here, and they're really wise and smart. They're educated, and he wants to get them to know everything that he believes all about this false gods he wants to bring them the first challenge that daniel faces is uh, a challenge that daniel faces is that of secular education he is faced with being bombarded by all this false teaching and Dan, uh, nebuchadnezzar is not a dumb guy nebuchadnezzar is very wise he knows i'm going to be able to bring these people they're young, they're teenagers, they're still being molded and made, and I'm going to get them and saturate them with our teaching, with what we believe. And I'm not only going to do that, he's going to see some other areas that he's going to um, uh, try to erase their history, what they remember and what they stand for. And he's going to put the pressure on these guys. Is that much different than what we face today and what our kids are facing today? That secular education in which their God, the true and living God, is eliminated and humanism and secularism is going to be pushed. This is exactly what those in the 60s, when the Bible and prayer was starting to be removed from the schools, from the education. I remember when I was in... Here is just a small ripple of that effect. I remember when I was in the early 80s to mid-80s, um, when I just gotten saved and I was bringing my Bible to a public school, which I went to, graduating class of five hundred and sixty-five, so it was a huge public school. And I would bring my Bible to, to to school and I'd be made fun of by both teachers and students. We had a Bible class that we or uh, Bible study we try to meet before school in the cafeteria, and we'd had teachers kick us out and all that. All of that comes from those decisions there. Abraham Lincoln says this that the philosophy of the generation in our schools today will be the philosophy of the generation that is running our government tomorrow. And that is where we are today in America. The generation that has been raised in our schools, which had the Bible and prayer removed, are now the very people that are trying to remove the Bible and prayer from the rest of society. It was a challenge to Daniel and his three friends, and it's a challenge to us today. I wonder how much longer America will survive when parents are constantly putting their children under the counsel of the ungodly. Obviously, we have a Christian school here, and it's great that we have that opportunity. My wife and I have determined um, by God's direction to, at this time, to homeschool our kids. What are some of those reasons? One of the reasons is because of what the secular school is teaching out there. What it, it is bombarding their minds, and we can learn from how Daniel responded to this challenge, not only the challenge of that secular education but also the challenge of these sinful enticements. Look at verse uh, five through eight i 'll start back in four um, no, verse five, and the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies of the wine which he drank and 3 years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king drop down to verse 8 oh no go in verse verse 6 and now from among these were the sons of Judah Daniel Hananiah Mishael and Azariah to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names he gave Daniel Belshazzar Hananiah Shadrach to Mishael uh, Meshach and to Azariah Abednego okay understand Nebuchadnezzar here I am not only trying to educate them and get them indoctrinated in what we believe here in Babylon, but I'm also trying to entice them with all the riches and everything that we have here. He didn't give them a snack lunch or a little bag lunch. He gave them all the delicacies and everything that they were going to, probably not what they were used to back there in uh, Judah. He was enticing them with everything that they could as a teenager. Wow, man, look what I've got here. Look at all this. And then not only that, he wanted to help remove their remembrance of how they were brought up by changing their names. They all had godly names and they were changing them to Babylonian names. He's just in the process of indoctrinating them and changing them. What a world we live in today. It's not much different. How important it is to be careful about those areas in that area. Think of this in the challenge of the sinful enticements. The young and, I believe, adults of our day are being lured to Satan's side by more sinful enticement than any other generation. Sex, drugs, alcohol, pornography, on and on we can go. Our youth cannot turn on. And this is my concern as a parent. I have a six-year-old, nine-year-old, seven-year-old, a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 10-year-old, soon to be 11-year-old. You cannot turn on the TV. You're watching a family TV show and the commercials and everything else. What's going on here? You, you're bombarded. This society is bombarded. And I think it's the same temptations that just formed in a different package and a lot more available than when we were kids and when some of you were kids. It is a sinful enticement that has been a challenge to all of us in this world. Look at the internet and how easy it is to to get that sinful enticement that is portrayed on there things that can be used for good but also can be used for evil. Then they see the role models teachers, politicians, entertainers, sports figures, and even parents who are not living God. Um, who are living godless lives day in and day out. And we wonder why there's not much commitment to Jesus in our young people. It's a challenge. We are already seeing that the very, very few in leadership of our government today hold a Christian worldview. They not only not have a Christian worldview, but they're um, antagonistic against those who do hold one. America, Babylon. Looks a lot like a mirror when you go, when you look further down. Look over in Daniel chapter 6 from Daniel 1. Look over in Daniel chapter 6. Many of you have been taught things from Daniel and know a lot of the stories, but Daniel chapter 6 verses 4 to 9 says this. So the governors and the uh, local officers sought to find some charges against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find any charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any heir to find fault in him. Then these men said, we we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So the governors and locals, um, officers, thrown before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, now this is a different king now, Nebuchadnezzar is already gone, King Darius is there, live forever. All the governors and the king, the administrators, um, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statue and to make firm decree that whoever petitions any God or man uh, for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the, the den of lions. Here's the challenge. It is a challenge of a social edict. There has been a challenge put forth that he could not practice his faith. He could not worship his God. He could only worship this one. That was the challenge that Daniel had. Are we that far from that challenge? When we start seeing our symbols being removed of a, as a Christian heritage, when they want to remove in God we trust, when they don't want to have the Bible and prayer, there's, that challenge is increasing in our society. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to respond to that challenge? Well, look at verse 10 through 23, and I won't read it all, but 10 through 23 talks about what happens, um, and I call it the challenge of suffering entailed. I like the word entailed because it's a good word that describes the challenge that Daniel is facing. The word entailed is um, defined this way, to require as a necessary consequence. The government had not only outlawed Daniel's faith, From being practiced. But now it required that if you break that law. There is going to be necessary consequences. To breaking that law. For Daniel. It meant being thrown in the lion's den. It meant being lied about. Being conspired against. For the three Hebrews. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you go back to chapter 3. What happened to them? They were thrown in the fiery furnace. That is a challenge to standing up for your faith. You can read the challenges of people standing up for their faith day in and day out. Thankful for Christian Law Association and other ones. But you know what? It's only going to get worse when people stand up for their faith. And they want to pray here or do this and do that. What did Daniel do? He says, you know what? It doesn't matter what laws man makes. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I don't care what that challenge is. I'm going to be faithful. These are the challenges that Daniel faced all alone in a foreign land, without mom and dad, without a lot of his friends. We too will find that this world will seem foreign and hostile to us if we're brave enough to declare the faith as boldly as Daniel did. We too may find ourselves facing opposition and hostility if we choose to stay true to Jesus in the face of all the challenges that are coming before us. How many Daniels do you really know? That in life, in in the face of challenges, spiritual challenges, stand strong like Daniel. We all need to be Daniels. It doesn't matter what age we are. But I believe we can learn from this teenager. And how he faced this challenge. Are we really surrendered all of our life to God? Look back to Daniel. And I almost read it earlier. But I didn't want to jump ahead. Daniel chapter 1. Look what what, what scripture says Daniel did in the midst of these challenges. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. You know what that word purpose means? It means to determine. It means to make up your mind. Daniel had a thoughtful decision. He made up his mind. He came to a decision, and he was not going to compromise his faith and the word of God no matter what. He wasn't going to compromise. What was the big issue about the delicacies and the food and and all this stuff? Well, first of all, look at where Daniel came from. The reason they were in that position of being captive because of the worship of false idols. Idol worship. And according to the law that they had, what was wrong and what he'd been already taught was you don't eat that food that is being offered to idols. And that's what it was. This food was, was food that had been offered to idols. And he was said, uh-uh, that's a sin. I'm not going to do it. Now, the law never said anything about the wine. He couldn't eat the wine. But if it was offered to idols, he was not able to have it. And so he determined in his heart that he was not going to defile himself. He was going to be obedient to God. He was going to commit and have convictions about what he believed to be true. And so in the midst of all these challenges that we are going to face in the years ahead, the Lord tarries. We need to teach our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids. Anybody further than that? Okay. Um, We need to teach them to have the commitments and the convictions that Daniel had. We can learn from Daniel. What kind of convictions and commitments Did Daniel have? Well, sometimes when we think about convictions, we think, okay, I have a conviction about this or that. I want us to look at convictions and commitments from a a different perspective. Because commitment is very, very few people today, even in the church, have a a great grasp on commitment. R.G. Lee said this, 13 drops of rain would knock 19 Baptists out of going to church. We're we're not really committed. What are we committed to? Okay, I, I know sometimes some people are committed more to their preferences than to the Word of God. What was Daniel committed to? Before we answer that question, does anybody know without looking, does anybody know, How Paul introduced himself in Romans chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, and Titus chapter 1. Anybody? Just off the top of your head. Hmm? A servant of God. Actually, the word is a bond servant. That word is a very strong word, and I think it's very important because that bond servant was one who, like Daniel was. One who had made a decision to serve his master for the rest of his life. He chose not to have any rights, but to have um, the will of his master be done in his life. He had no plans, but to faithfully follow the orders and wishes of his master. He was a bond servant and he made that choice. I think that's a great description of Daniel. He was a bond servant. He, he, he made the choice, the commitment, the decision to follow Christ. Well, what were those convictions and the commitments that Daniel had that I believe affected his life and I believe will affect our lives? First and foremost, I believe Daniel had a, had a conviction about sin. You don't see that much in churches today. You don't hear much about it in churches. We're blessed, and if you've ever been out in any other churches, you don't hear God's Word preached as, as, as it is in this church that often. You don't hear sin spoken about. You hear it referred to or somebody's struggle or somebody's weakness or something they need to overcome. But you don't see sin dealt with. I believe Daniel had a conviction about sin. He knew what sin was. Daniel would not partake in that wine and the meat because God's word says it was wrong. And he was going to be obedient to God's word. He was not going to ignore it. Because of peer pressure or because others wanted him to do it. Even the king, he was going to be obedient to God. James 4, 7, 17 says this to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him. It is sin. How do we view sin? Let me tell you, if we view sin and take it half heartedly and don't think it's that big of a deal. Oh, I can confess it later on stuff. It affects the way we live. It affects the way we live, how we view sin. What is our conviction about sin? What is about our what is our conviction about who sin is against? Sometimes we oh, it really wasn't that bad. Or when we have a perspective of reality that David had in Psalm fifty-one, that sin was against God. You think that will affect the way we live? If we understand that the sin that is in our lives and the way we live, it's not just against my partner or my friends or someone. It is against Almighty God. With a conviction like that, we would live different. Not only that, I believe Daniel also knew that from experience that sin had dire consequences. Why do you think he was captive? Because of the sin of the nation in which he lived. Do we not comprehend that sin has consequences? Be sure your sin will find you out Numbers, tells us. Galatians says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, he also will reap. You don't like what you're sowing? Plant different seeds. Daniel had conviction about sin. I also believe, and we won't turn there. You can turn there later. But I also believe that Daniel had a conviction about the atonement for that sin—that it was Christ's blood that paid for that. Why do I say that? If you look in Daniel chapter eight, Daniel chapter nine, and Daniel chapter eleven, he talks three times there and talking about the daily sacrifices that the Antichrist will take away in the, in the third uh, in the tribulation period. Each one of those chapters, he talks about that with an understanding of that picture of a sacrifice and what Christ is going to do. Daniel also had a commitment, and you can turn over to Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. I believe Daniel had a conviction and a commitment about the Lord's second coming. 44 and 45, this is in the last days, and this is Daniel explaining the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And in the last days... um, in the last days of these kings, the God of Heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break into pieces and consume all the other kingdoms, and it shall stand forever, inasmuch as you saw that stone was cut out of the mountain without a hand, and it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the King what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is clear. Daniel had a commitment and a conviction about the second coming of Christ, and it affected the way he lives. Are you living like Christ is coming back? Do you really live like he could come back tomorrow? That's what Titus talks about, looking for the blessing, blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. If you live with the mindset that he could come back at any time, it's gonna affect the way you live. 1 John 3.3 3 tells us that the blessed hope will motivate us to live a pure life. The idea is there, ladies, and I'm going to focus on you. If you've got a special guest coming over, Pastor Brian or someone else coming over, what do you do with your house? You clean it up. You make sure it looks neat. Nice, you, you prepare for that guest. That is what it's talking about in our lives. The motivation of, the, of Christ returning at any time should be a motivation of a pure life. Be used to motivate us for a pure life. The blessed hope will also give us motivation to faithfully endure the difficulties of this life. Hebrews talks about chapter 10, verse 35 to 37. It's saying that hey, at any time the Lord can return. And these difficulties and hard times that I'm going through are only temporary. They too shall pass. I believe Daniel had a conviction and commitment about that. Daniel chapter 12, verse move over to Daniel chapter 12. Verse 1 to 3 says this, And at the time Michael, this is the prophecy of the end time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands, watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, Listen to this, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting content. Daniel had a conviction about an eternity. He knew that some people were going to die and go to hell and some people were not going to die. Some people were going to go to heaven. He had a conviction about that. And I think it affected his life. Let me ask you, does it affect your life? Does it affect the way you live? Does it affect the way you treat other people? That there is an eternity out there. Daniel was different than everyone else. And King Nebuchadnezzar noticed that his buddies were different. They weren't following all the religions of the day, all the different gods that they were worshiping. They had a conviction and a commitment to the one true God, no matter what the consequences. going to close with this why should we be committed why should we be committed to Christ and this is going to take just a few moments but it will take you looking at some verses why should we be committed to Christ first of all 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verses 16 to 20 says this. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a heart, it is one body with her for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality, every sin that a man does outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and who you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. First of all, why we should be committed to God? We're not our own. We're his. We've been bought with a price. We are God's. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. And we need to understand that God's not going to be pleased with our lack of commitment. Many of you are married in here. And at that marriage altar, you made a vow one to another. You said, I do. That means you're no longer your own. You also belong to someone else. You need to also be considerate of someone else. Faithfulness is top of one of those, one of those things expected in that. The same is true for everyone that has taken Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. We belong to him and him alone. Not only should we be committed because we belong to him, but he commands us to be committed to him. Romans or Revelation chapter two, verse 10 says this. Revelation two, verse 10 says this. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have Tribulation for ten days, but be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. God commands us to be faithful. He wants us to be faithful. His desire. He's, he doesn't have the mentality of this world and those who have no desire of commitment. He doesn't have that open mind of relationships that some couples have. He wants us to be found faithful. He's a jealous God, Exodus tells us, and he demands us to be faithful as his bride. Two more things. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says this. Moreover, is required in stewardship that one be found faithful. These things that I've talked about may seem unbelievable, like you can't do it. But we can be found faithful and committed because we can do it. Jesus never requires anything from us that he will not give us the grace to accomplish it. There are many things I cannot do personally. I can't point like I used to. I cannot sing. And Jesus has never once told me to get up in front of the church and to sing a special. I believe the qualifications to be able to sing in the choir is this. If you can't sing, you can't sing. But faithfulness is something that each and every one of us can do. And because of that, God wants us to be faithful. Each of us must always be faithful to what we can do. And last but not least, why should we be committed and faithful? Because we're in a battle. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and 2 Timothy chapter 4 talks about the battle that is raging. There is a spiritual battle going on. There is a battle about inerrancy of Scripture, the deity of Christ, the exclusiveness of salvation in Jesus and Jesus alone, the reality of hell, the traditions of family, uh, traditional family values. There is a battle going on. What are we going to do? Are we going to stand up? No matter what, are we going to be faithful? Are we going to be a Daniel. In these challenging days that are ahead of us. That are ahead of our children. One of the things that I was thinking of. When all of these young families were making these statements. Is one that kind of sticks out in my mind. As a father of young children. All of these things that people have said are great and important. In teaching them at a young age and all that stuff. But one of the scary things to me. Is the society... What the society is going to be like when they grow up. When they get my age, the Lord tarries. What the society is going to be. But you know what? I found encouragement in Daniel. Because Daniel determined in his life that he was not going to be defiled by the society. By the world. No matter what the challenge was. And I want that same determination for my children. For myself. I want to be a Daniel. No matter what happens out there in the world. No matter what the consequences they throw. That I would be found faithful. That I would be obedient. That I wouldn't give in to sin. And all the pressures and challenges of this world. But that I would be committed to Christ. I think that's what we can learn from Daniel. I hope we do learn it. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this opportunity. Pray that you would challenge us through Daniel's life. A teenager. We can learn something from him. From the stand that he took. Lord, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We could wake up tomorrow and there could be a news alert saying that all Christians are to be put in jail. Whatever. Would we take a stand? Or would we would, would we become secret Christians? Lord, I pray that we would take a stand and be found faithful. No matter what challenges lie ahead. Thank you for this reminder in your word. May we be found faithful. It's in your name we pray. You're dismissed.